Good morning, church. This reading's from Psalms 51 in the NLT version. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me and give me, make me whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stains of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that I, that I may mouth my praise to you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I will offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not rejoice, you will not reject broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. Amen. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank you very much. <clears throat> morning, BCC. Um, I'd like to open this morning uh, with a story, uh, a true story of a 27-year-old man called Jack Twig. Uh, he's from Manchester. Now, Jack was uh, unfortunately responsible for uh, a very uh, uh, difficult and, and awkward uh, car accident, uh, head-on collision. Uh, he was doing some reckless driving uh, and overtook wrongly on a main road and caused uh, somebody to be seriously injured uh, as a result of his recklessness. Um, now, he was charged uh, with causing uh, serious injury by dangerous driving, and he got sentenced to 28 months in prison with a minimum term of 10 months. Uh, and, of course, uh, as a result of that prison sentence, he then lost his job. Now, after his release from prison, Jack uh, tried very, very hard to get re-employed, and he ended up sending off his CV and applying for around about 200 different jobs over a quite a long period of time. Uh, but what kept happening was that recruiters and employers kept on uh, looking through his, uh, his details, and when they came across the criminal record, they kept on turning him down and giving him excuses about that. But really, that was the elephant in the room with regards to his employment prospects. Nobody wanted to take him on. And then he heard about a company called Timpson. I don't know if you've ever come across a Timpson store in your travels around the city or around and about. They, uh, they have this kind of uh, burgundy red and white lettering, don't they? And they do things like key cutting and engraving and dry cleaning uh, and sign making and so on. Uh, they do shoe repairs, all those kinds of things, all the little jobs that you kind of need doing. 
they are a fantastic company. I'm not here to advertise Timpson, but they are a tremendous firm. And one of their stated objectives is to take on people who have a criminal record or who have been in prison. Um, uh, that, that's something that they think is really important. And so uh, this guy, Jack Twig, he writes off to the uh, CEO of Timpson uh, in desperation saying, listen, I've heard that Timpson take on people who have a criminal record. Is that right? Uh, uh, and James Timpson, who is the CEO of, of, of the firm, wrote back to him and said, yes, we do. Uh, would you like to come for an interview at one of our stores? And so uh, Jack goes along to one of these stores. They interview him. Now, as part of the interview process, they, they ask people who have a criminal record to just be open and honest about what went wrong, what, what they were put in prison for, what the criminal record was about, and, and, and Jack went through that. And then he was uh, taken on as an apprentice, um, and he's done really, really well. Within six months, he becomes a shop manager himself. So that means responsibility for an entire shop with people working for him because uh, he's a talented guy. Um, I, I found this story in the newspaper, and I found it very, very heartening. Um, I, I also found that Timpson themselves had commented on, on Jack's application and his process. And, and I just, let me just read to you what they've said uh, about him. Uh, they said this, we believe in second chances. We try to look beyond a person's past mistakes and instead look to what they can become in the future. Our approach allows people to lead a crime-free existence and it creates fewer victims and it makes our communities safer. Recruiting from this cohort, in other words, from a prison background, is also good for business, as the people we recruit from prison are, often, are more often than not very loyal, hardworking, and honest. 16% of the UK population, so that's over 11 million people, have a criminal conviction more serious than a driving offence. And to us as a business, it simply doesn't make sense to throw such a huge proportion of our population on the employment scrap heap and assume they have nothing to offer. Our culture of kindness and compassion means that we are able to offer hope to many. Jack is a great example of this, and we're sure he'll go on to be a huge asset to our business. What I find so encouraging about their attitude and that story is that it, it represents hope. It, re it represents a new start for somebody. It represents the, the possibility that despite the fact that somebody may have really stuffed up in a big way and really done some really wrong things, they can have an opportunity to start again. That there is hope ahead for those of us who have made mistakes in life, for those of us who have committed sins, for those of us who have really done some bad stuff there's a chance again. And, and that gets represented very much in the story of Timpson and their, and their attitude to, uh, to people with a prison record. The psalm we are looking at today, I would argue, is our go-to psalm for when we're, when we're in trouble with God. <laughs> when we have done the wrong thing, we go to Psalm 51. And we look through Psalm 51, and somehow the language and the vocabulary of Psalm 51 in what David prays to God gives us the language to be able to say sorry to God too for the things that we have done wrong. It really does. It's a, it's a landmark psalm. It's one of the most important psalms in all 150 of all the psalms. And it's one that I find myself going back to again and again and using the words from again and again. And I'm sure that you do too, if we're all really honest. Psalm 51 
provides a tonic for our soul. It provides a pathway back. Uh, For those of you who know the story, uh, Psalm 51 represents David's prayer for restoration after he does some ve- makes some very grave errors of judgment and commits some very horrendous sins before God. Um, he uh, commits adultery with Bathsheba, another man's wife, Uriah the Hittite, uh, who is in his army, and he tries to cover it up. He tries to, she falls pregnant, and he tries to cover that up by asking Uriah to stay back a little bit longer from the front. Uh, in the hope that perhaps, you know, that he would sleep with his own wife, and, and, and he tries to do that at first. Uh, and then when that doesn't work, um, and Uriah is more insistent on going and fighting than David himself is, um, he tries a more sinister method, which is to write to Joab, the commander of the army, and to say to Joab, I want you to organize for this man's death, to cover up his sin. And I think what's particularly nasty about what David does is he sends the letter to Joab, asking for Uriah to be, to be done away with, uh, with Uriah himself in his own pack. And he doesn't understand that that's what he's carrying. And uh, we, we, can, we can read all about that in, uh, in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. And I'm not looking to analyze that story particularly too hard today, but Psalm 51 represents David's prayer as a response to what he has done. 2 Samuel 11 is a chapter that ends with the rather, um, well, for me, a chilling phrase, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You know, whenever you read in the Bible that something displeases the Lord, oh, man, you've got to take that as a big warning. This thing displeased the Lord. And then 2 Samuel 12 describes how the prophet Nathan took his courage in both hands and goes to David and tells him a little parable about, you know, the, the man who has just the one little sheep and David, you know, the, the big king who has all of, the, all of this property and, and possessions, and, and, and the story works, and David is convicted of his sin. And in fairness to David, as he is confronted about the wrong thing that he has done, to his credit, he fully admits it. And he pauses and he simply says, I have sinned against the Lord. So that's the, that's the context and that's the story. And what, what in essence we find ourselves with in Psalm 51 is, is this detailed prayer of David coming to God and asking God for forgiveness for these very grave sins of adultery and murder, effectively. And, and it's a psalm of a very deep, heartfelt sorrow and contrition and upset. And it does express a very sincere and earnest desire to get right again with God. And, and my guess is that millions of Jesus followers around the world and down the ages have used Psalm 51 as a means privately and possibly even publicly of getting right with God for things that they have done wrong. Not necessarily things that are that extreme perhaps, or may, although maybe so they were. But certainly for the things that we know we've done wrong, Psalm 51 gives us a language. It gives us a format I want to give you an illustration of the effects of sin. I think all of us know, know what they are. We, we, we've all been through those times when we've done the wrong thing, and then we thought, ah, oh, that is just so annoying that I've done that, and I'm going to have to rebuild my relationship with God. Uh, and in Psalm 51, we see details of what this is like, and I'll, I'm going to take you through those, uh, not to be heavy, because we have a solution, and it's a relationship with God that's the solution, but I'll, I'll, let me take you through what David identifies as the things that are the outcome from sin, 
But before I do that, I want to give you an illustration that can kind of maybe give you a picture in your mind of how this works. So uh, just last week, we were on a week's leave, and we were on holiday in Wales, and um, my middle son, Simon, who's just sitting there, he said to us, hey, I really, there's, a, there's a particular location that I'd really like to go and visit. Um, it's an abandoned brickworks, and it's by the sea, and it's just in this cove, and it looks really cool on the website. Can we go there for the afternoon, and can I take some photographs, and can we explore it? So we said, yeah, sure. So we all jumped in the car, and we drove to this place, and it's, you know, there's no kind of signage there particularly. It's just a, just a quiet little lane, and we had to kind of park our car off, off the side of this lane. And then we, we got out, and we walked over the headlands together, and as we came over the headland, you could see this massive bay, and uh, it was quite a windy day, so there were breakers down in the bay. It was a fantastic view. And then, and then the path kind of fell down the hill a little bit. And uh, so we went, uh, we went down this very steep path through the gorse bushes, and we came to this site. You, the first thing you could see was a chimney, and then we came upon this site. Now, this site is a dangerous place to go. Um, the, the first point at which the path comes out, you kind of come out on this ledge, and the ledge is actually the top end of a four-story building that has lost its roof. And you can just look over, and there's four-story drop into all of this kind of vegetation and, and broken down brickwork. And then you have to kind of climb down the side of that. And it's got all sorts of different things. I had a look at it. I, I looked it up on the internet. And um, it's a, a place called Porthwen, I think it is. Um, and it's, uh, it's on the very northern coast of the island of Anglesey. And uh, it's had brick making there since the 1850s. And it finished just after the Second World War. And it's been abandoned ever since. Um, they, uh, they've got lots and lots of things there. There's, a, there's an, a, an old steep tram road that drops down. There's like a crushing house to kind of grind up all the quartzite to make the bricks. Um, there's drying sheds and uh, molding sheds and fire kilns and a boiler house and all sorts of bits and pieces. And then there's a little key area there where ships would come and they would sort of load off the brand new bricks in pallets and put them on ships and they would go away. But all of that came to an end in around 1948, I think. And so we're left with this spectacular ruin of a site. Um, now, what was so striking about my journey down there, I mean, Simon and, and, and Adam were taking photographs and looking around and stuff, and what, what was so striking for me about looking at it down there was that the damage the sea has been able to do to this location in, what, 70 years odd since it was abandoned. It's quite striking what it's done. Um, so the, there's a massive storage shed there where they would have stored the new bricks, and basically the sea has been able to eat away at the foundations of this, of this storage shed. And the foundations have collapsed, and as you look over the edge, you can see the, the ocean sloshing around in the foundations. Um, you can see uh, subsidence uh, has caused uh, cracks in the brickwork. You know, it's an insurer's nightmare. Nobody would ever insure the site again. All the brickwork has got cracks in it at different points. Uh, there are big beams that originally, I guess, cast iron beams that were stretched across to provide floors or roofing. And one of them in particular was so corroded that it was like paper thin at one point. And I said to Adam, I said, mate, you don't want to walk across that. You're going to fall. You know, that's, and he wasn't trying to. You know, we were just agreeing that it was in a terrible state. Lots of the seawalls themselves had big cracks in, and you could see the surf through the cracks. The reason I want to share that kind of picture and that illustration to you is that the sea is, in, this, in, this, in that particular illustration, the sea is like sin. The sea is going to keep pounding away at you, and it's going to keep on trying to break down your foundations in God, and you need to maintain a close relationship with God and be very, very vigilant about that. 
Even as far back as Genesis 4, when Cain and Abel have their thing with, with God, when you know, Abel brings a decent offering and Cain doesn't, and Cain is downcast, and God says to him, why, why are you downcast? Don't be downcast. Do the right thing. Remember, this is Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching right at your door, but you must rule it. Even as early as that, God is warning us about the effects and of, of the damage that sin can cause. Now, if we read carefully through Psalm 51, we get loads of clues from David about the ways in which sin tries to attack our foundations, tries to take us out. And it is a painful list to hear, but let's hear it in the knowledge that we have a sovereign king on the throne who provides a solution and a way out for us. We have a sovereign king. We have the Lord Jesus who has come to provide a way forward uh, for us to be able to grasp. The first thing is we become aware that we are now spiritually unclean. Um, completely wash me clean, Lord, it says there in verse 2. Cleanse me from my sin. Um, it says in verse 3, uh, yeah, verse 3, my sin is always before me. One of the effects of sin is that it hangs around in our conscience. It lurks there in this really annoying way, and it won't go away until we deal with it. We know we've done the wrong thing, and it sits there in our mind, taking up mind space. You know, in the play Macbeth, uh, Macbeth uh, is a tragic play. Uh, Macbeth goes, kind of deals with people by, by killing them off and so on. He kills one of his friends, Banquo, and then he, he's presented with the ghost of Banquo at this feast and, and sees him. And that's like Shakespeare saying, listen, if you do the wrong thing, you're going to have something in your conscience that is going to remind you that you've done the wrong thing. We become painfully aware that there is nothing that God cannot see when we've sinned. We, we do. We know that. And, it, you know, we love that when it's a matter of injustice against us. But it's not quite so easy when it's us that's caused the injustice, is it? Because the same eyes are looking at us very clearly. We get reminded of just how much we sin going all the way back to childhood. David says, oh, you know, surely I've been sinful from my, from my very young, young time. We realize how weak our inner integrity truly is. You know, we like to kind of think, oh, I've got a good integrity with God. I'm, I'm great. I've got this covered. And then sin catches us out, and we know for sure that our integrity quite, wasn't quite what we thought it was, and we kick ourselves about it. And we ask God for more wisdom to know how to steer ourselves better. We also realize that our sensitivity to really lovely things like joy uh, are, are numbed down. You know, joy and gladness don't feel quite the same anymore when we've got sin, sin hanging around in our minds and hearts. It spoils things. Our very bones themselves feel crushed by what we've done. We become acutely aware of our need to get spiritually clean again. We become desperate for a renewal of some sort. We reflect on our inconsistency and we long for steadfastness. Who here has prayed, God, please just at least make me consistent in avoiding sin? I know I have. I've prayed it. God, please, can I just be consistent in this one area? Would you help me avoid this? We worry that God might ask us to leave his presence. We become anxious that God's Holy Spirit will be removed from being with us. And that joy of being saved that we had when we first got saved can get a bit dulled down and diminished. And we suddenly realize, gosh, I'd really like that joy back again. And we realize that what sustains us might be under threat, which is our relationship with the Lord. And we become aware that our spirit hasn't been willing after all. David asks that he would be given 
willingness, even our willingness can get damped down by the effects of sin. We know at the end of the day that we are just plain, old-fashioned, guilty, and there's no way around that. And we also know that superficial rituals are not going to cut it with God. This has to come from inside. Now, that's a long list, and I'm, I'm a somebody that believes church should be encouraging and uplifting, so I'm sorry to have to read you all of that stuff and to go through it. But I think it's really important that we face what David faces. In his psalm, he's very clear about the impact of sin. He's very, he doesn't mince his words. He doesn't kind of, you know, tread on eggshells around it. He just says it how it is and the impact that it has for him. I think Psalm 1 is a, a psalm of what's called penitence. Penitence means the feeling of being truly and deeply sorry for something and wanting to make amends and sometimes showing that you want to make amends to others. It's not a bad thing to be penitent at all if we've done the wrong thing. Now, having heard all of that, I want to say to you there is a solution, and it's a big solution, and it's a great solution. Uh, the solution lies in our relationship to God. It really does. It's a relational solution that we have. And for David, it was, it was God directly um, because Jesus hadn't arrived yet. But for us, it's, that, that's done for us with Jesus, with our relationship through Jesus. And if we turn back to God, no matter what we have done, God is always prepared to listen to us and he will forgive our sins and wipe our record clean. And I am so grateful that that is possible. So grateful. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful daily that God has that ability and I have a relationship with him where I can go to him and say, God, I'm so sorry. I've stuffed this up. Would you, would you wipe the record clean and would you give me another chance? Let's take a quick look at some of the key things. And they're all in verses 1 and 2, actually, from Psalm 51 of what it is that allows David to go to God and know that they will be sorted. Number one is God's grace. God's grace. He says, be gracious to me, God. God is filled with grace. Uh, you know, justice is getting what you deserve, isn't it? That's like, you know, like Jack Twig, that guy who went on to be employed by Timpson. He got a prison sentence for dangerous driving. That's justice, isn't it? So justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. In other words, getting let off or perhaps having somebody else come along and take the punishment for you on your behalf. But grace is slightly different from those two things. Grace is getting something extra that you, that you never deserved. Uh, an unmerited favor. And David goes straight there. He asks for God's grace. Grace is being given something by God we absolutely do not deserve. David's basically saying in this psalm, even though I've committed adultery and then murder and then tried to cover these things up, God, please would you spare me in your grace. So justice would have been David perhaps being impeached as a king and having to go to prison. Mercy would be maybe those things not happening or someone else stepping in and being willing to take that punishment and serve the time instead of David. And we know that Jesus does that on our behalf through the cross. But grace is the added plus of knowing that spiritually everything has been put on a reset to a clean record with the Lord. That's what the grace is that, that David's looking for there. Secondly, God's faithfulness. Psalm 51 tells us that God is faithful. David asks for forgiveness on the basis that God is faithful. Have you ever thought to yourself, God, I'm so grateful that you are faithful because I know I'm not. 
You ever thought that? Have you ever, have you ever done the comparison chart of your faithfulness with God's faithfulness and thought to yourself, oh man, your faithfulness is off the scale, God, and mine is way back here, and I'm really sorry about that, Lord, and I'm vowing now to take my faithfulness up a notch in response to the faithfulness that you show me. I feel that sometimes. I almost feel like embarrassed by God's faithfulness to me. Like, why would you be so faithful to me, God? Help me to lift my faithfulness in response to that. Number three, God's love. Psalm 51 reminds us that God is love. It says, according to your faithful love. David knows that God is loving. And knowing that we are loved, no matter what we say or do, provides us with an incredible foundation for life. If all of us in this room and all of us watching on the live stream and everybody around the world knew that they were loved by God in the way that God does actually love people, I think the world would be a very, very different place. We wouldn't have people competing for love or trying to earn love or trying to, uh, trying to win it or trying to show it uh, that they deserve it. People would just know it. And I actually think just knowing that you're loved unconditionally, no matter what you say, think, or do, provides the platform for much better behavior, actually, because you relax into that love and you stop messing around, and, and it makes life so much more strong for you. You know those parents of families where you see the kids that they just know their love deep in their hearts? Yeah, they might make a mistake, but they know that they're loved. They know they can go back to mum and dad, and that, that mum and dad might set boundaries. and might be healthy, sure, but underlying that, if there's a foundation of unconditional love that sets up a person to have so much better a life than if they don't know that. And one of the things I want you to hear from the Lord today is that you are loved, absolutely loved, deep in your spirit. God loves you to bits, and it's not because of the things you do. We loved Babs to bits, not because of the things she did for us, but because she was just a legendary person. And God thinks that way about each and every one of us here in this room and online, and actually everyone he creates, he loves in the same way, very, very deeply, unconditionally always wanting for people to, to make a, a win of their lives and to be fruitful. Number four, God's compassion. According to your abundant compassion, in verse one there again. You know, compassion means a strong feeling of sympathy uh, or perhaps sadness for the suffering or the bad luck or the misfortune of others and a strong desire to help them out. And actually, so often we're the architect of our own misfortune, aren't we, through our sins? But God sees through that, and he still shows us compassion. You know, the, the, the prodigal son, when he came rushing back from the far-off country, didn't get a speech from the father about what he'd done wrong. The father just went, come here, and gave him a big hug. The compassion was off the scale. It's abundant compassion from the Lord upon us. I wish we could receive some of that abundance and, and that sense of compassion uh, in our lives. David asks for compassion, undeserved though it, he, it was, to allow him to make a fresh start. And last of all, well, I'd just say that Timpson's method of recruiting people operates on a compassion basis, doesn't it? They're being compassionate to people and giving people a new start. I just love that company. I just think that's such a great ethic to have. Uh, so, so helpful and brings so many people so much hope. The last thing I want to just share with you is number five is it's really apparent that David, in this process of coming to, to the Lord in Psalm 51, simply wants to be clean again. He wants to be cleansed. He wants to be washed 
and made whole. He wants to be made right with God. And, and if you look at the language in Psalm 51, there's loads of asks that he makes about being clean. He says, blot out, as in kind of wash away my rebellion. Uh, literally, wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. Purify me with hyssop, it says in some translations. And hyssop was the, the kind of the woody branch uh, or branches that they, the people of Israel uh, used to sprinkle blood on the doorposts um, when uh, the, the, the death came from the angel through the, uh, you know, through the land of Egypt uh, as a protection for their firstborn children. Wash me, he says. I will be whiter than snow. That's a nice idea, isn't it? This idea that you can be whiter than snow on the inside because of Jesus washing you clean. Who wouldn't want that? I just think that's an awesome idea, an awesome picture. Jesus, make me clean as snow on the inside, as white as snow. Create a clean heart for me, Lord God. What an awesome verse that is. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 10. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'm going to ask our worship team just to return. I'm going to ask you to all stand with me as well. Our message is coming to a close. And I'm going to suggest some responses to Psalm 51 that you might want to uh, you might want to respond on some of these things. If you're a person that's come to church this morning and you just know that you'd like a new start with God, and can I say I'm someone that comes to church quite often saying to God, God, can, could you give me a new start too, please? I'm not exempting myself from this. I'm just the same as you in that way. But if you're someone that wants a new start with God this morning, then while we worship, I'm going to ask you to just make your way down the front and say that to God under your breath, just quietly by the altar. There's something so significant and important about moving in response, moving our bodies in response uh, to something that the Lord is asking us to do, an urgency there. If there's uh, something in your heart where you need, uh, you sense you need some grace from the Lord, some unmerited favor, you're standing there and thinking to yourself, yeah, I, don't know, I know I don't deserve this, but Lord, it'd be lovely if you did this. If there's something that you'd love the Lord to do for you that's probably pretty unmerited, but you'd love it anyway, why don't you just come forward? Just come and ask for it. If you know that you need a little bit more faithfulness to who the Lord is, and that you've recognized that His faithfulness far outstrips yours, and you'd like some more faithfulness in your life in response to who God is in his character, then come forward. Come forward and we'll pray for you to have that faithfulness. That would be right and appropriate and proper. If you just need to feel some compassion and love from the Lord today, you know, there's like a, we're in church today. You'll receive that right in your seat. But I would love to invite you to come forward and to have some of that straight right at the altar. That's my invitation to you. And then last of all, if there's something where you just need to know that you're clean on the inside, that you, that, that, that you know that you've done something wrong and you just said to God today, God, I'm sorry, I'm guilty, I know I've done it wrong, please forgive me, please clean me up. It's one of the most basic things that a church can offer is that opportunity to be right with the Lord. Then come forward and, and do, some, do some time praying with God at the front please do. And we'll, we'll respond again after we've sung as well. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Kevin.